Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me today to Philippians chapter 2, as we read the verses 1 through 4. And these verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Thus far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the church of Jesus Christ has faced and always will face great dangers. Some of these dangers include worldliness, apathy, complacency, spiritual lethargy, presumption, indifference, lovelessness, to name only a few. But one of the greatest dangers facing the church is the lack of unity. If there is no unity in the church, it will soon cease to exist. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And that's why in many of his letters, he exhorted his readers to be unified. Well, he does so also in his letter to the Philippians, including here in our text chapter. In many ways, the church of Philippi was a model church. In verses 3 and 4, Paul writes how thankful he is to God upon every remembrance of them, always in every prayer, making request for them all with joy for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then in verse 7, he says that he has them in his heart, inasmuch as both in his chains and in the defense of the gospel, they are partakers with him of grace. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he refers to them as his beloved and longed-for brethren, his joy and crown. But this church had one great weakness. It was not unified, or at least it was not as unified as it should have been. And we know that because in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul exhorts two prominent women, Yodius and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now why these two women were at odds with each other, we do not know. But the fact that Paul wrote this in a letter that was to be read publicly suggests that their conflict was very serious and very public. And as such, it posed a real threat to the unity of the church. And Paul knew this, and that's why he addressed it in his letter. Now, Paul first addressed this subject in chapter 1, verse 27. Thereafter, assuring the Philippians that he would remain and continue with them all for their progress and joy of faith, verse 25, 
Paul goes on to say this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul knew that the Philippians were being attacked for their faith. Now, any general knows that when his army is being attacked, the best thing it can do is stay together. If it scatters, it will surely be defeated. And Paul knew that too. And so he urged the Philippians to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. But given the importance of this subject, Paul has even more to say. And he does so in the words of our text, Philippians 2, the verses 1 through 4. And it's to these verses that we now turn our attention with the help of the Lord through his Holy Spirit. Our theme is Paul's appeal for unity. We'll consider, first of all, the motives he cites, secondly, the characteristics he presents, and thirdly, the joy he experiences. Our text begins with the word therefore. Now that word therefore is a connecting word. Specifically, it connects the words of our text to chapter 1, verse 27. And there, as we've already seen, Paul urges the Philippians to let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that means, as he goes on to explain, standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Well, now Paul goes on to draw a conclusion from this. It's as though he's saying, since you must live worthily of the gospel, standing in one spirit and striving together for the faith of the gospel, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In other words, conduct worthy of the gospel manifests itself in a striving for Christian unity. Striving for Christian unity, therefore, is not an option, it is an imperative. It is part and parcel of living and acting like a Christian. Now, to reinforce this, Paul provides four motives to Christian unity, and each one of these motives is rooted in Christian experience. And he introduces each one of these with a clause beginning with the word if. He writes, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, and so on. Now, that word if, in each case, does not assume doubt. Paul's not saying, if there is any consolation of, in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, and there might not be. He's not saying that. He's affirming that there is. And so the word if has the sense of since or because. It's as though Paul is saying, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, and so on. Therefore, be like-minded. Now you notice that the first motive to Christian unity that Paul mentions here is the consolation that we have in Christ. Now the word consolation is very interesting. It's a translation of the Greek word periklesis, from which we get the English word paraclete. A paraclete is someone who comes alongside of someone to give assistance by offering comfort or counsel or exhortation. It's the word that Jesus uses in John 14, verse 16, to refer to the Holy Spirit. There, the word is translated as helper or comforter, but it's the same word, paraclete. Now, here in our text, Paul refers to a 
the consolation that is ours in Christ. What's he referring to? <coughs> well, he's probably referring to the consolation that we have in knowing that our sins are forgiven, that we are reconciled to God, and that we have the gift of everlasting life. It's as though Paul is saying that in light of the consolation that we have in Christ, in light of all of this, should you not be like-minded? And the answer, of course, is obvious. Of course you should. Now, the second motive to Christian unity is comfort of love. Paul here could be thinking of the love of Christ, how he loved them so much that he laid down his life for them. Or he could be thinking about the love that believers have towards one another. But it's more likely that he's thinking of the love of God, specifically the love of the Father in sending his Son into the world to make atonement for the sins of his people. Well, whatever the case, what Paul is saying is that in light of this love and the comfort that it produces, should you not be like-minded? Of course you should. Well, the third motive to unity is the fellowship of the Spirit. And notice that the word, in the New King James at least, is capitalized. The word spirit is capitalized. And that suggests that Paul here is not referring to the human spirit, but rather to the Holy Spirit. And that makes sense, since fellowship is a work of the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship, or in the Greek koinonia, has to do with sharing, partnership, participation. Most likely, Paul here is thinking of the fellowship we have with God in Christ and with one another through the Holy Spirit. So it's as though Paul is saying, in light of the fellowship that we have with God and with one another, should you not be like-minded? And again, the answer is obvious. Of course you should. Paul mentions yet a fourth motive to Christian unity, and it is affection and mercy. Now those two words are closely related. Affection is the root of mercy, and mercy is the fruit of affection. Now it's not clear whether Paul is referring to the affection and mercy that God has towards his people, or that his people have towards each other. But most likely he's referring to the affection and mercy of God. And if that's so, then what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, as it were, did you not experience the mercy and compassion of God when you were saved? Well, if you have, should you not then be like-minded? Should you not exercise that mercy and compassion towards each other in like-mindedness? Of course you should. And so Paul presents four motives to unity. And you may notice that the first three of these are all connected to each of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. We have here the consolation of the Son, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The last motive is connected to all three persons together. Now, whether this was intended by the Apostle or not isn't clear, but it makes sense, for the unity of the Trinity is the basis for unity between believers. In fact, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Christ prays that his people might be one, even as he and the Father are one. So their unity, the unity between the Father and the Son, is to be a reflection, is to be reflected, rather, in the unity among believers. The point is, there are these motives to unity. What Paul is saying is that if we have experienced any of these things that he mentions, therefore we should and must pursue after unity. 
Pursuing after unity is, or at least ought to be, our natural response to what God has done for us in Christ and what we experience in Christ. So let me ask you, what about you today? Have you experienced these things for yourself personally? Have you experienced at least something of the consolation of Christ, of the comfort of love, of the fellowship of the Spirit, and affection and mercies? Well, if you have, Paul says, you need to pursue after unity. You need to pursue after like-mindedness. Do whatever it takes to live in peace and love and harmony with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But what does this unity look like exactly? That brings us to our second point, the characteristics that he presents. Paul in our text outlines four characteristics of Christian unity. And the first is like-mindedness. He writes here, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Or we could say of the same mind or to think the same thing. Now it goes without saying that in order for a church to thrive, its members must be of the same mind. They must think the same thing. At the very least, they must be of the same mind regarding essential doctrines of the faith. Now, to be sure, not every member of the church will be in complete agreement with every other member of the church on everything. There will always be differences. And when we have differences, we need to work through these in charity and in love. But when it comes to major points of doctrine, essential points, there must be agreement. That's why in Reformed churches, which I am a pastor of, we're so blessed to have our doctrinal standards, the three forms of unity, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. These three documents summarize for us the essentials of the teaching of Scripture. And as confessing members of the church, we must all believe what is contained in these documents without exception, which is also what we declare when we become a member, a confessing member of the church. But when Paul speaks of being like-minded, He's thinking not so much about doctrine, but about spirit and purpose. He's pleading for a unified disposition or attitude that manifests itself, as he goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, in esteeming others better than oneself and in putting the interests of others ahead of their own interests. And where such a disposition or attitude is prevalent, the church, he says, will be unified. The second characteristic of unity that Paul mentions here is love, having the same love, he writes. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here is agape. Agape love is not a touchy-feely kind of love. It's not centered on the emotions, but on the will. And as Christians, we are commanded to love one another with agape love. Again, that doesn't mean we have to have warm fuzzies about everyone. That would be impossible for the simple reason that we just don't feel that way about everyone, even brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather, it means making a conscious decision or choice to seek the well-being of everyone. This characteristic serves to balance out the first. What Paul seems to be saying to us is that unity of believers must not simply be a matter of the mind only. It must also be a matter of the heart. We must be one not only objectively, but also subjectively. 
The third characteristic of unity that Paul mentions is being of one accord. Or we could also translate being harmonious, one in spirit, united in spirit or soul, of one soul, or joined or knit together in soul, and to be soulmates of each other. And where that is the case, then we'll share the same goals, we'll share the same objectives, we'll be like husband and wife ought to be. Husbands and wives don't always agree about everything, but they are generally rowing in the same direction. And that ought also to be the case in the church of Christ. We need to be all be rowing in the same direction. Now the fourth characteristic of Christian unity is being of one mind. The word that Paul uses here is the same word that he used earlier when he spoke of being like-minded. It means to think the same thing. Now some translate this as intent on one purpose. He mentions this word again for the sake of emphasis. And in this way, the apostle comes full circle, from one mind to one love to one spirit, and then back to one mind again. And so these then are the four characteristics of unity, like-mindedness, love, being of one accord, of one mind. Well, when we consider these things, we need to ask ourselves, are these things true of us as individuals and in your church? Do they characterize your relationship to other believers? Are you as individuals and churches like-minded? Do you have the same love for each other? Are you of one accord? Are you of one mind? And if not, what does that say about us? What does that say about our unity? Is it real? Is it genuine? Or is it just a thin veneer? Well, needless to say, these things do not come of ourselves by nature. We're not like this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, we will be like-minded. We will have the same love. We will be of one accord and of one mind. And therefore, our constant prayer should be, O Spirit of God, work these things in my heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters that we may live the way that you would have us to live. Now maybe you ask, well, why should we pursue after such unity? Paul tells us in our text, because it brings joy. And that brings us to our third and final point, the joy he experiences. In pursuing after unity, Paul says that the Philippians will fulfill, or we could translate complete or make complete, his joy. Listen again to what he writes. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So when the Philippians are like-minded, when they have the same love, when they are of one accord and of one mind, then Paul's joy will be fulfilled. Now to be sure, the Philippians had already brought Paul a lot of joy. They brought him a lot of joy when they first came to faith in Christ. In fact, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippians' fellowship in the gospel brought Paul great joy. But his joy was not complete. 
Something was preventing him from experiencing fullness of joy. And what was that? Well, it was probably the Philippians' disunity. Philippians' disunity brought him not joy, but grief. And now he says to them, as it were, if you want my joy to be complete, if you want me to experience fullness of joy, then do this. Pursue after unity. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Be of one mind. Now we can learn a number of lessons from this. We should learn, first of all, that unity should be one of the main priorities of every true minister of the gospel. That was certainly true for the Apostle Paul. There he was, under house arrest in Rome, chained day and night to a Roman soldier, awaiting a trial that might very well end in his execution. And what does he think about? What preoccupies him? Well, not himself, or his goals, or his agenda, but the unity of the church at Philippi. Why? Because Paul knew that if this church was not unified, it would not survive. And so he impressed upon them the need for unity. But secondly, if unity brought Paul joy, and ultimately Christ himself, then we should do whatever it takes to maintain and strengthen unity in the church. Now that's not always easy to do. And the reason is because members in the church do not always agree with each other. In fact, sometimes disagreements can become quite sharp. And what is more, some believers are simply too stubborn and proud to admit that they were wrong, or to deny themselves, or to seek reconciliation when they have wronged someone. But all of this is wrong. This is not the way Christ would have us to live in the church. As believers, we should do whatever it takes to maintain and strengthen the unity of of the church of Christ, even if we have to suffer wrongfully. So let me ask you, is that true for you today? Are you prepared to do whatever it takes to maintain and strengthen the unity of the church? Well, as we hope to see next time, the Lord willing, this will require you, as Paul goes on to write in verses 3 and 4, to esteem others better than yourself and to put the interests of others ahead of your own interests. And that requires humility and self-denial. Are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to be the least? Thirdly, it should be the desire of every church to bring her leaders and ultimately her Lord joy. The fact that Paul says to the Philippians that their unity would complete his joy implies that this was their desire. And why should it be? Why did the Philippians want to fulfill or complete Paul's joy? Well, because they loved him, just as he loved them. And when we love someone, we, we want to bring them joy, don't we? Not grief. And that was certainly the case with the Philippians. They wanted to bring Paul joy. And isn't that also true for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is our desire? Is it not our desire to bring our leaders joy. It should be. This is what the writer to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 13, verse 17. He writes there, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So here the inspired writer 
urges his readers to conduct themselves in such a way that their office bearers may carry out their task and responsibility with joy. Now, how do we do that? How do we bring our leaders joy? Well, we bring them joy when we obey God and keep his commandments. We bring them joy when we love one another. We bring them joy when we are actively involved in the work of the church, producing fruit to the glory of God. We bring them joy when we're striving to put sin to death and live in holiness before the Lord. In short, we bring our leaders joy when we live to the glory of God in everything, both within and outside of the church, in our thoughts, in our deeds, and in our actions. We bring not only our leaders joy, but ultimately God himself. My friend, are you doing that today? Blessed is the church that brings her leaders joy. And so Paul, in our text, exhorts us to pursue after unity. First of all, he presents us with several motives, and then he sets forth some important characteristics, and then finally he expresses his pastoral joy. Now, why does he emphasize this? Well, partly as we said, because he loved them. Paul knew that if they were not unified, they would not grow and mature, and as they should, and the church would eventually fall apart. But also he does this because he knew that this would bring joy to his Lord. You see, the Lord is the king of his church, wants his people to be unified. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, our Lord prayed that his people might be one, even as he and his Father are one. And so when Paul urges unity, he's merely reflecting the desire and the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the Philippians to pursue after unity because this is what pleases the Lord. Disunity in the church brings grief to the Lord, but unity brings him joy. Oh, may God so work in our hearts that we as believers in Christ, may pursue after unity with all of our might among ourselves as congregation, but also among all those of like precious faith. For this is his will, and it will also be for our benefit and the glory of our God. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, and Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. 
Again, that address is www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.